So the very start of 2 Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Arcadia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Well, good morning. My name's Benjamin. It's great to be here. When was the last time you agreed to watch a movie together with someone, maybe in your home or at a cinema? Are you the sort of person who gets the food and drink set up well in advance so that you can sit down and press play? I see some people rolling their eyes. Maybe I'm about to start an argument here in church. If you go down to the cinema, do you get your snacks with time to spare or do you wait till the lights dim and, oh, I'd better duck out and go and get that chock top? <laughs> you might be surprised that I like to be prepared. <laughs> I don't want to miss the start. For me, the movie's introduction is super important. I don't want to miss what's going on. I want to be set up with everything I need so that I can get right into what's going on. It's a bit of a letdown when I press play and then... Someone else decides that it's time to go put the kettle on. It's time to go open the cupboard door, open the packet of chocolate, open the chips and start. Just sit down and take it in. Someone's worked very hard to prepare the first few minutes of that introduction. You don't want to miss it. So too here in the second letter to the Corinthians. Of course, it starts with an introduction, but let's not overlook it. As we look, we notice that it sets up the whole letter. A particular word repeated often. Did you hear the word as it was being read today? It's a little while back now. Cast your memory back. Did you catch the repeated word? Comfort. Comfort. 
Comfort and its variants appears ten times in the space of four verses. And the clear message of today's passage is, God brings comfort. Are you in need of comfort today? Are you a victim? Are you suffering? Have you suffered loss? Are you struggling with an illness or a failing? Suffering from the consequences of a past action which still affect you today? And have you tried all the self-help books and the distractions and the medication, but you're still looking for comfort? Today we're talking about comfort and it might just be the help that you need to hear. Because this passage written some 2,000 years ago is no mere self-help guide. It's an acknowledgement of the supernatural help that is available to us. The supernatural help of our creator, God, who knows us and loves us inside out. Today we're introduced to the God of all comfort from three vantage points. Comfort that comes from God, comfort that comes through Jesus, comfort that is expressed in his church. I'm hoping it'll be useful because we are all struggling, suffering in one way or another. So let's look to God, the God of all comfort. Let's read then from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all saints through Archaea, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Well, we may have pointed out the repetition of the word comfort in this passage, but if you look at those first three verses, there is a clear focus and repetition on God. Paul is an apostle by God's will. He's writing to the church of God. He's bringing grace and peace from God. He's praising God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. If you've come looking for a message about comfort, you've come to the right place, but don't miss the focus of the introduction. Don't miss the hero of the story. In verse 1, it's God who appointed Paul as an apostle. But also look at how Paul describes the letter's recipients. He's writing to the church of God at Corinth. The church belongs to God. It's a gathering before God. It just happens to be gathered at Corinth. We really can't downplay God's involvement here. The recipients too are hand-picked by God and by implication so are you. Hand-picked by God. Now that is an introduction worth focusing on. And so by pointing out that Paul, that God is at the helm of this whole church and this whole letter, Paul is already painting a comforting picture. A picture of comfort, even before he mentions that comfort word in verse 3. Comfort comes from God. And he expands on that into verse 4. God comforts us in all our troubles. 
God comforts us in all our trouble so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted with by God. Like wave after wave carve out that beautiful shoreline here in Port Macquarie, Paul's repeated references to God and to comfort is shaping the letter and shaping the recipients of the letter to understand the comfort that is ours in God. Repetition is particularly useful when the pressure is on. I'm sure you learnt your timetables at church and I could probably do a bit of a quiz, but I'm not going to. Some of you have learnt a musical instrument and uh, you get to that stage where the fingers are working and your brain is catching up. Maybe you've done self-defence and you've practised those moves over and over again. You know repetition can help when the pressure is on. You need to know some of these things instinctively so that when you're under pressure, you have a go-to. Because when your mind is racing with all the anxiety of the moment, you need to be able to rely on something you know to be true and useful. Paul wants his readers to develop an instinctive response so they'll know where to turn when the pressure is on. Comfort from God. Comfort from God. And speaking of under pressure, here's something that I've learnt. It's hard to appreciate comfort until you've understood real trouble. There's a phrase batted around the internet that you've probably heard, first world problems. Have you heard that term? To call something a first world problem is usually to suggest that a person isn't aware of what real struggle is. We want our chocolate, our coffee, our bread, just so. And when the shop runs out of our preferred option, we grumble. That's a first world problem, we agree. It, It pales in comparison to a person who is genuinely hungry. And in fact, genuine hunger is something we find hard to comprehend and probably wouldn't dare talk about having our bread just so for someone who has no access to bread or anything at all. Some people pray for every meal. I don't mean they pray before every meal. I mean they pray that they will get a meal every time. It's hard to appreciate real comfort until you've appreciated real trouble and in the face of real suffering we look for comfort comfort from God comfort from God Uh, that's not always where we turn to for comfort though is it the Bible is full of people who search for comfort in the wrong places in things other than God from the time that Adam and Eve sold their place in the garden for a piece of fruit. We've been chasing lesser things in the search of temporary pleasure. We're too often tempted to look for temporary pleasure, temporary comfort, rather than to the God of all comfort. And it's only when the temporary uh, pleasure fades and the pressure is back on 
and we're facing real trouble, that we turn to God and realise how dependent we are on him. Just look at the stories of Moses, of Rahab, of Joshua, of Deborah, of Ruth, of Esther and David and, of course, of Job, where it's struggle and suffering that forces people to acknowledge the God of all comfort, to declare God's majesty and his provision. If you're looking for comfort anywhere else, it'll be temporary pleasure. Now, Paul knows this from experience too. We'll get to Paul's example a little later, but I'm with him on this as well. I can personally attest to the fact that it it wasn't till I had an enemy that I realised just how much I needed God to support me. It wasn't till my child was on the operating table that I realised how dependent I was on God for everything. And the words I read in the Bible began to have more meaning, provide more reassurance. I'm sure you have similar stories of loss and of struggle, and I'd love to hear that from you. But let me declare to you, God is dependable. And that is a comforting thing, something that we often don't realise until the pressure is on. We need an instinctive response to that pressure, comfort from God. This passage points not only to the source of comfort, God, but it provides us with a reason for suffering and comfort. Paul says in verse 4, that God comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort those in any trouble. There's a corporate, collective nature to this comfort that we receive. More on that later when we talk about church, but let's have a look at how this comfort comes to us as we look into verses 5 to 7. Speaking of first world problems... Sometimes I like to get lost exploring places that I don't know. It's not a comfortable feeling getting lost when you notice that the sun is setting over that hill and you're still pushing through the scrub with no idea where your campsite is. What do we do in that situation? Well, what I do, what brings me comfort is the map in my pocket. Does the map instantly transport me to my destination? No, but it gives me hope and comfort as I know that someone's been there before me. Someone's been right here before me marking out the hills and valleys, rivers and tracks. They've gone before me and just knowing that brings me some comfort. And our passage today reassures us that there is one who's gone before us to endure everything that we would face, Jesus Christ. Looking from verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, 
because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. Here Paul points to, at verse 5, the sufferings of Christ. And there are three ways that Christ suffers that I want to point out to you that are of benefit to us. The sufferings of Christ come in his physical body. The sufferings of Christ come in the agony of the cross. And the sufferings of Christ are in his people, the church. When the Bible talks about Jesus Christ, they don't just describe a teacher who pops his head into class to deliver a couple of pearls of wisdom and then nicks off when the pressure is on. No, the Jesus Christ of the Gospels suffers and bleeds for the people he's leading. Jesus Christ is recorded as being hungry, thirsty, tired, shamed, beaten, insulted, in mourning, in pain, in suffering. He suffered to the max and yet he was without sin. He has gone before us into every avenue of suffering that we can endure and he endured it for our sake but there's one particular suffering he endured that we don't have to endure because Jesus took it on our behalf when Jesus endured death the agonizing death on a cross he was despised afflicted pierced but he experienced a pain worse than death He experienced separation from God, cut off from God the Father. He suffered unjustly because he didn't deserve it. But he took a punishment that we deserve. Jesus suffered, but his sufferings flow over into our lives as he endures terrible agony so that we could have the benefit of what he suffered, the comfort of being reunited with God our Father through his suffering. And then also Christ suffers as he experiences the sufferings of his people. We know that that's true specifically in the way Jesus spoke to Paul. Yeah, Paul came as an apostle after Jesus, but he had personal contact with Jesus supernaturally. You might remember in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, Paul's former career was to hunt down Christians, and he was pretty good at it. You'll remember that Paul was brought to his knees as a voice like thunder came out of the sky, and he said, who is And Paul and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That was news to Paul. Paul just thought he was chasing down wayward Jews. But it turned out that when he was persecuting Christians, Jesus felt that persecution and took it personally. Jesus took it personally. Jesus knows our troubles too. He takes it personally. He feels it intimately because when we suffer, he suffers with us. Christ suffers with us and Christ suffers for us. You might feel lost and alone trying to traverse the valleys of this world, but know that someone has gone before you 
not just someone, but God himself in Jesus Christ. And much more than have a map in your pocket, Christ himself is walking with you wherever you go. As verse 5 says, just as his suffering overflows to us, then so too does comfort overflow as Christ is with us. We can view this comfort of Christ in three similar ways. First, we are comforted when we see how Jesus handled his earthly struggles. You see, Jesus was tempted in every way we are. And yet he was without sin. He repaid hate with love, evil with good. It's comforting to know that he has gone on ahead of us and not just shown us our way, but shown us the way to life in the full. And even his death is comfort for us. Because he died in our place, we have comfort knowing there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And third, if Jesus personally shares in the suffering of his people, then how much more will he share his comfort with his people? In his death, he has bought for us a firm hope, a glorious inheritance kept in heaven for us that will never perish. That is our real hope and our real comfort when the pressure is on. Now, when I talk about suffering, you could be forgiven for thinking that's not very comfortable, Ben. Death? Suffering? Sacrifice? Is, is that the best you've got for me? I want comfort. I mean, ask someone what makes them comfortable. What makes you comfortable? The answer might be, oh, it's that lovely pair of slippers that I own. It's that lovely old jumper that I own and I put it on and I feel comfortable. It might be marshmallows and hot chocolate. But if you're heading into a war zone, is the old threadbare jumper going to be the comfort that you are seeking? Or would, it rather, would you rather have a bulletproof vest? Because being comforted does not necessarily equate with being comfortable. You'd hardly call a wooden plank comfortable. But when you sit in your house and know that those thick wooden beams are holding up the foundations of your house, securing them, then yes, big planks of wood give you comfort. You might not think of a pile of dirt as being comfortable, but when you are in a flood-prone town and the river is raging towards you, you take comfort in that big mound of dirt that surrounds your town and gives you security. Knives don't sound comfortable, but a scalpel in the hands of a well-trained surgeon brings you comfort when the cancer rages. You see, we rely on something that is designed and built to endure. That's what brings real comfort we often mistake God's comfort with just being comfortable. And so when we look for comfort, we expect that everything is going to be rosy and soft 
and peaceful in our life. But we don't realise that we are in a spiritual war zone and we don't just need that old jumper. We need the bulletproof vest. That's why the suffering of Christ leads to comfort in Christ. It's not that Christ provides a warm feeling, although he does. No, it's not just that. Christ was exposed to all the difficulty and struggle and violence and sickness that this world contains, and yet he stayed obedient and through his sacrifice purchases us and purchases for us a place in heaven. Even death could not hold him down. Now, when I'm headed for life's troubles, when the raging flood approaches or the sickness, I need to trust in one who has gone before, who can bring me security. That is real comfort, not just being comfortable. And Jesus has done just that. He has gone through the valley of the shadow of death so he can lead us to greener pastures, quiet waters. His righteousness cloaks us so that we receive all the benefits that were due to him. That's why you must put your trust in him. It's not enough just to seek comfortableness in this world. We seek the comfort of knowing that we have a hope that is unshakable in heaven. Not because Jesus will make your life comfortable, but because he will shield you from the impending disaster that is to come. The impending disaster that is where you're headed without him. And just like the hiker holding the map, we know that someone has gone before us to mark out the way. When you feel alone, as we sang, you're never alone. The God of all comfort is your security. We have our map, the Bible. We have our compass, the Holy Spirit. To point the way. And what is the way? Jesus is the way. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That was his question. That's also my question. Do you believe this? So in verse 5, when Paul points us to Christ, he points to the one who went before us, suffering on our behalf and bringing comfort to us as well. Comfort overflowing. Not just comfortable, but comfort, security. And now we're going to see how we experience that comfort. From verse 8, Paul talks about a particularly difficult time that he had as he continued to raise churches as he worked his way around Asia and uh, Greece. Under so much pressure that he felt he could hardly endure it. Have you felt pressure like Paul did? Pressure that you felt you couldn't endure. Pressure that you felt you just couldn't go on. Here again, Paul reminds us how comfort comes from God who raises the dead through his son, Jesus Christ. But verse 11, I want to point you to, points to something we should take note of. Suffering should not be individual. Suffering should not be an individual struggle. The sentence begins at verse 10. On him we have 
set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Right throughout this passage, God, uh, Paul has been talking about the struggle, the sufferings of God's people. But all through it, he talks in the plural. We have, you plural have, you guys have. He points in the plural because he wants to point out that suffering should not be an individual struggle. Paul and Timothy are sharing the stories of how as apostles, when they were overwhelmed, they were overwhelmed together. He's writing to the Corinthians that they have afflictions, but they have afflictions together. And here in verse 11, Paul is calling on the Corinthians to pray together, to pray as a church. When God provides deliverance for Paul and his team, it's in response to the prayers of many. For Paul, the struggle is not something to be endured alone. It's not an individual pursuit. Struggling is a team endeavour as we share each other's burdens as we comfort one another with the comfort that overflows from Christ, as by our many prayers, God grants us favour. Paul said that all through this passage. In verse 4, that we comfort each other with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In verse 7, that God's people share in each other's comfort. And here in verse 11, Paul relies on the help of his brothers and sisters. Do you rely on the help of your brothers and sisters? If you think you should struggle through this life alone, think again. Life is about you and God. God who delivers you. But it's not just about you and God either. Here we see that God is our comfort, but his comfort is found in his people. The Christian life is not an individual pursuit. It's a pursuit designed to be shared, our struggles to be shared, so our comfort can be shared too. What a great blessing this is. Think of the church as a body, and maybe on triathlon weekend it's fitting, when one part is struggling, the whole body struggles and suffers. Someone out there is in their 20th kilometre of the 42k run and uh, they've got a bad knee or stomach cramps and doesn't the whole body notice? But doesn't the whole body compensate for that deficiency? There might be a limp, there might be slower movement, even lying down, but the whole body suffers. The whole body compensates. The whole body shares the burden. And when that part is comforted, like a heat pack on stomach cramps, the whole body shares in that relief. The legs relax, the lungs exhale, the mouth utters a prayer of thanks. We, God's church, are like that body. And when one part struggles, the whole body struggles and compensates with it. And when one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices and is comforted from the experience of that one part. 
For Paul, the church is the expression of God's comfort. Paul wrote to the church of God in Corinth. What does that make us? The church of God that happens to meet in Port Macquarie. Our church is the local expression of the God of all comfort. Is that how you view church? Is that how you view your brothers and sisters? The expression of the God of all comfort. The church is where we practice love. The church is where we bear each other's burdens. The the church is where we hold out the word of truth and the hope of deliverance in a world that is suffering. And if that's the case, then when you struggle, your church must be part of the response to suffering. And when you're comforted, I want to rejoice with you. Because that's the beautiful way that God designed it. We see it in today's passage. An introduction to what I think is going to be a really helpful sermon series. We see today that God brings comfort. Comfort comes from God. We see that comfort is seen in the sufferings of Christ which overflow to us. And we see that God's comfort is practically expressed in God's family, the church. As we point each other to that great day when God's people will have no suffering and will be face to face with the God of all comfort. Let's pray as we look forward to that day. Heavenly Father, Lord, though we struggle now, we seek not just to be comfortable with temporary distractions and amusements. Lord, we seek your comfort. Help us to know, help us to encourage and remind each other that comfort is from you, that the sufferings of Christ overflow, and that there will be that day when all things are made right. And help us to endure to that great day. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.